Uh, all right, so do me a favor and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to do a couple of things. We are continuing this walk through the New Testament, and uh, it's, it's interesting as we're, as we're walking through this, one of the things that I promised myself as we went through this is when I found a section of Scripture where it was actually going to be potentially shorter, uh, a shorter message, I wasn't going to try to make it longer, okay? Uh, I'm a pastor, so I can talk forever about nothing. It's, 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 a, it's a gift, really. It's a calling. Um, and I don't, want, I don't want to do that. So I'm not exactly sure how long this is going to be today. Um, this is one of the shorter versions of this section of Scripture that we're dealing with. Now, if you've been following along and, you're, and you're, you're, you're keeping track of the verses that we're going through, I am skipping a section at the beginning of this chapter. We're going to be dealing with the, uh, the death of John the Baptist in another gospel. Um, there are other, other versions that I think are a little bit more detailed that I actually um, uh, would spend a little bit more time in, um, and I didn't want... I have a kind of a schedule I'm trying to keep before I head out to Kentucky in October, so I'm going to start this morning in verse 13, and we're going to go to verse 21. We're going to be reading this section of Scripture, more commonly known as the Feeding of the 5,000. And uh, it's pretty interesting, as I, as I was reading through this, um, I, my eyes got drawn to something that, honestly, I hadn't seen before. Most of the time, in my experience, this passage is used by a lot of prosperity preachers to talk about, you know, when you sow what you got, God gives you even more, you know, pressed down, shaken together, running over, he'll make you prosperous, which is a verse that's not in your Bible. <laughs> you know, it's just there, there's a lot of people who tend to take sections like this and they twist them into something that it's not. And, and I try hard not to do that, but there's, there's, a, there's a truth that my eyes got drawn to when I was reading through this and I thought, what a powerful thing that Jesus is doing. And there, there are two, there's, there's two things that Jesus did in here that I think we need to pay attention to. Um, the first one is learning how to deal with things that don't go as planned in a, you know, in a godly, responsive manner that don't make you look like a jerk. You know, it's important. It's important. And the second one is what, what we do with what we have. What do you do with what you have? Not what you want, not what you wish you had, not what you're working towards, but what you have right now. Doing the best you can with what you have. What, what are you doing with what you have? And are you even willing to recognize what you have? Sometimes we don't pay attention to what we have because we don't want to take inventory, because we don't want to depress ourselves. But that's not what God is after. Jesus takes this time in this passage to... Open the disciples' eyes up to something I think is could potentially be life-changing to someone in here. Not that I'm thinking of someone specifically, but I, I might be. I don't know. It's, it's, it depends on what you do. Um, so I'm going to start reading in verse 13. We're going to do the first two verses here first. It says, Jesus, uh, when Jesus heard this, talking about the death of John the Baptist, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. By himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. What was Jesus hoping would happen? Jesus made, Jesus found, just found out that one of his closest friends is dead. 
And Jesus decides to go do something. He has a plan. I'm going to get in this boat. I'm going to go away. I'm going to spend some time by myself. And then <laughs> a few thousand people show up and ruin it. Jesus' day did not go as planned. You know, there's times where Jesus needed to get away and be by himself, needed to disconnect from what was going on in his life. You know what that tells me about, uh, about us? We probably need to do the same thing, and probably more often. But how many times have you heard this? Toughen up, buttercup. Push through. Chicks dig scars. You know, what? okay, that might not be in the context of the church, but you get it. <laughs> What is this? Pain is just fear leaving the body? Is that, is that the way that one works? Yeah. I'll hold on to my fear. Thank you. No. Jesus needed to get away and he needed to be by himself. And there are times when we need to do exactly the same thing. There are times we need to stop, say no to family, friends, relatives. You notice I put family and relatives in two different categories? because you all know exactly what I'm talking about. You need to say no and step away and take a little care for yourself, because the truth is, if you're not going to take care of yourself, very shortly you're going to be no good to the people who are around you. A lot of times we sacrifice our lives or our marriages on the altar of ministry, and that is not what God is asking us to do. Jesus gives us an example that we should recognize when we need to disconnect and recharge, and we should be willing to do it right? So that's a truth. Now, here's another truth. Sometimes we recognize the time where we need to disconnect and recharge, and we go away, and something happens that doesn't allow it to happen. Life gets in the way. I've been pastoring here now for 14 years. Every five years, I take a sabbatical. Every time I've taken a sabbatical, I've tried... Now, let let me put it this way. Every five years, I take a sabbatical. I've taken three... Does anyone know that that math doesn't work? The reason is I took the first one. Then when I took the second one, two weeks into it, this little thing, you may have heard of it, called COVID happened. And then I had to put that on hold, and then I tried to took the rest of it later. Things happen. Every time I I try to take a vacation, and every time I try to take a sabbatical, I get phone calls from people who have never called me, (laughs) <laughs> and, the phone call, and the phone call always starts off like this. Pastor, I know you're on vacation, sabbatical, fill in the blank, but I, I have a choice. I have a choice to make right there. You ever wanted to do something and then life throws you a curveball and it doesn't happen anymore? I need to take a road trip. This is the perfect time for a flat tire or a blown engine. Or your kid to take his driving test. And then you don't have a car anymore. What's that third pedal for? Don't worry about it. Just move the stick. It'll work itself out. Yeah, no. Things happen. Life changes. Stuff goes wrong. Jesus, wanted, Jesus is God. And he wanted to get alone. And 
literally thousands of people walked along the shore of the lake to find him. There's his boat. Everybody, that's him. Let's go. And they're moving along. Could you imagine him in the water looking at the sail going? <laughs> he didn't do that. He didn't keep sailing until they ran out of breath. He just, he, he landed where he originally wanted to land. He saw the people and he was moved with compassion because they wanted to be with him so bad, they weren't paying attention to what maybe his need was. There's a truth there, isn't there? There are things that happen in your life. There are people who mess your life up. Might be your kids, might be your family, might be your boss, nothing. They're not doing it on purpose. They're doing it because they have a need and you are, going, you are part of the solution to that need. They, they are desiring something from you. And if we take the attitude of Christ, we might allow ourselves to be moved with compassion and deal with what's in front of us. Because we all know that when people mess up our plans, you really only have two choices. You can take care of what needs to happen with a bad mood or you can take care of what needs to happen with a good mood. Either way, you have to deal with whatever that issue is in front of you. It's not going away. So you might as well try to make the most of it. Jesus was moved with compassion that they would literally chase him down on foot. There's a reason he went by boat. It was faster. They chased him down by foot just to be with him. And he was moved with compassion and healed their sick. Plans are just plans. If everything goes perfect, this is what will happen. And we all know that's not what happens. Life happens and life is normal. We can't control what happens to us in our life's journey. The only thing we can control is how we react to it when it does right? When life comes at you unexpectedly, your plans have now been messed up, life is now running at you, the only thing you can do, the only thing you can actually have control over is how you respond to it. And the more control you have over yourself emotionally, the better your response is going to be. Now, how many times has something happened to you and you kind of lose it for a minute? I mean, you might, you know what? Sorry, I just I'm fine. Sorry if I was a little upset there. Let's, let's deal with this issue. Because you were irritated. I had someplace I wanted to go. I had something I wanted to do. I wanted to go off by myself. And now everybody else is here. Oh, and by the way, no one brought a lunch. <laughs> How did Jesus react? You think about this. Did he stand up and go, do you all know who I am? Have you no respect for my personal space? Can't I get a moment's peace? No. <laughs> One of the things I, I used to teach my staff when I was still working in the restaurants and I'd teach my cooks, you never really know what's going to go on. There are certain days of the week you kind of know what's going on, but most of the time you, you don't... It might be a Tuesday. You're not really staffed very well, and obviously you can get Friday's worth of business. You only have two options. You can shut up, be happy, and cook all the food. 
or you can be obnoxious and cook all the food. Usually more than once when you're in a bad mood. It was always easier to get everyone in and out if everyone stayed in a good mood. Because either way, you had to cook the food. You may have had to make the mozzarella sticks 15 times. But you're going to make the stuff they paid for. Jesus knew his plans were out the window. He decided to respond with compassion. Our lives are no different. Things go off the rails. It's the way it works. Who are you when you respond to those things? Who are you? Are you the person that you want people to see you as when things go wrong? Or when things go wrong, are you the person you'd never want to be known as? But it doesn't matter in that moment, in that poorly thought out moment when all of your plans have gone, gone awry and all of a sudden you are letting people know they either cannot come and talk to you when you're in that kind of a mood or maybe you're not the person they think you are. Just that moment we respond as the person we want to be known as, not as our irritation in the moment. That is not easy to do, folks. That is not easy to do. I'm reading this, and at one point in time, I was like, how would I respond? How would I respond? Would I use the word smite um, when, I, when I responded? And thousands of people followed me to the, lo- to, to, to the place, and I immediately sent them to heaven. No, no, I'm not Jesus. I have my moments. We have them, we apologize for them, and we move on. But we should be working on who we are when things go wrong as much as we are who we are when things go right. When things go right, it's easy. It's when they go wrong. That's, that's when the, kind of the unconscious version of ourselves comes flying out. All right, verse 15 Jesus is continuing. He says, when it was evening, his disciples came to him and said, "Uh, this is a deserted place and the hour is uh, already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and it uh, uh, looked up to heaven, and blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitudes. So they ate all, the, uh, they ate, they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve basketfuls, basketfuls of fragments that remained. And those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Now, in reality, if you think about this, there were somewhere between five and ten thousand people there. Just in a just generic way, just kind of looking at the way a family structure works, somewhere between five and 10,000 people were there because they didn't count women and children. They just counted men. Deserted place. They were out. There was nothing. There were no fruit trees. There was no DoorDash. You know, the Chick-fil-A drive-thru was closed. It's obviously on a Sunday. And Jesus tells the disciples to feed a small city. This is seriously a small city, not a village, 
a small city. Just to give you an idea, I think in Copenhagen, if you counted everyone including the outskirts, there's about 2,400 people. Okay? We're talking about... Okay, it's less than the number of cows in the area, but you, get, you understand what I'm saying. This is a lot of people. The disciples understood the difficulty in the problem, but Jesus understood something better. Jesus understood that this was not a difficulty, this was an opportunity. Okay, remember, his plans were already messed up, so he's taking advantage of this situation, and he's not only helping the disciples understand what it means to have the compassion of God when things don't go right, he's about to show them what happens when you place everything you have in the hands of God. He's going to show them something impossible. He says, you feed them. He gave them a task he knew they couldn't do. Did you understand that? He literally gave them a task that was impossible for them to handle on their own. They were unable to complete what God asked them to do with their own resources, with their own power, with their own understanding. Nothing about it was achievable for them. But Jesus still gave them that calling. Do we understand how that applies to the everyday Christian life? When God is calling you into something, when God is moving you into something, when God has a job for you, and you think, perfect, I am the right person, I have the right training, the right skills, I have the money, I have the resources, this is all good, God has picked the right man, I am blessed and highly flavored. Sorry, I was just thinking about (laughs) Chick-fil-A. If that's you then what you're thinking is not what God is calling you to because God is not going to call you to something that you are the perfect fit for. He's going to call you to something that you are not ready for. You do not have the right experience. You do not have the right resources. You do not have the right capability. There are skills you're gonna need. There are resources you don't have and he's doing it so that you'll trust in him in the process. This is the lesson. The multiplication of the food was just the vehicle. It was not the lesson. The lesson is what happens when you place what you have in God's hands, knowing what you have is insufficient for the task at hand. That's the lesson. In Greek, that term, you feed them, could also be rendered, you give them what they need. We read, go feed them. Change that to Jesus saying, you give them what they need out of the insufficient amount that you have. And the disciples, being normal people, said, does does Jesus understand that we didn't bring lunch? Now, in in, in another gospel, what you find out is when they say we have five loaves and two fish, they didn't bring that. They stole that from a kid. I got to admit, that's pretty funny. Some kid's walking home, he's got a little snack pack from Long John Silver's, and they're just like, give me that. They wouldn't have stole it. The kid would have given it to them. 
Now, the five loaves, we think loaf, we think bread loaf, okay? They didn't have bakeries that, like we have today. They didn't have loaf pans like we had today. They baked things in little, like, biscuit-sized pieces because it was easier. And these were probably barley loaves. Any of you ever had a barley loaf? Let me ask you this. Anyone ever had Ezekiel bread? You know, that healthy bread that, that you eat because it makes you remember how bitter your life is? You notice most of the food for, 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 uh, you know, for, for Passover was to remind you of how rotten life was, right? Bitter herbs and stuff like that. Like barley loaves reminded you there was no moisture left in your body. You would eat it and immediately dehydrate. They had five of those and two fish. And the fish that they had were dried fish. They were probably about the size of a normal-sized lake perch, okay? And they, were, they, were, they would be opened up, laid in the sun, and dried. And now you got to keep this in mind. These things were probably put in a small bag, tied to someone's belt, and carried in the sun for the whole day. Who's hungry now? Mmm. No. This was barely enough food to feed one grown man. Another gospel referred to them at refer to it as the lunch of a lad or the lunch of a small boy. This was not even enough to feed one man. And how did Jesus respond to this? This is so important. Did Jesus stare at the disciples and go, "Who was supposed to stop at Stewart's for the fritters?" Seriously, none of you? Someone call Jacobs and order pizza. <laughs> no. Jesus said something to them that we all need to hear and we all need to remember and we all need to understand. Jesus gave the disciples a task they were completely incapable of carrying out. They brought to Jesus an understanding of the limitations of their resources. That cannot be overlooked. They brought to God the reality of this is all we have and we're bringing it to you and it's not enough. Jesus' response to that was very simple. Bring them here to me. Bring what you have to me. I need you to do this. God, I don't have what I need to do this. I am not capable of doing this. Then bring to me what you do have and watch what I do with it. Bring me what you have. This was the lesson of the whole thing. It wasn't simply to feed everybody. Feeding everyone was easy. We're already told at the beginning of the passage there were villages close enough where they could have gone and take care of, taken care of themselves. This was not about feeding this number of people. The food is irrelevant. What is relevant is the concept. The disciples are given a task they cannot do on their own. It is impossible for the limitations that they have, but what they have, they brought to Jesus. 
And when they brought it to Jesus, they placed it in his hands. Exactly. I would have been doing the same thing. Have you ever felt led to do something, but you knew you didn't have what you needed to do it? You knew you have a vision for something. It is impossible with the resources that you have right now at your disposal. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time to make this happen. I think there are two things in this passage that we need to remember and understand and we need to put into practice in our lives, especially in the day and time that we, that we live in today. When the disciples realized they didn't have what they needed, they brought the concern to the Lord. Did you hear me? They brought the concern to the Lord. You want us to do this. We want to do what you're asking us to do. But this is all we have. Then the next thing they did was placed what they did have in the hands of the Lord. We tend to mess this up in a couple different ways. When God tends to calls us into something, we might say, God, I don't have what I need in order to make this happen now, or we rationalize it to ourselves. We never actually bring the need to God. We have the conversations with ourselves. I am, I'm not capable of doing this. I, I can't do this. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't share my faith. I don't know enough about my faith. I can't talk to people about the Bible. I don't know enough about the Bible. God wants me to share my faith at work. I'm not comfortable enough. I don't know if I know enough. I, you know, I, I'm just, I, I just don't want, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> Who's that guy? That guy that leads all your coworkers to Jesus? <laughs> I want to be that guy. So we don't actually get to the point where we bring our concerns to God because we don't, and this is just my personal thought. I think we don't bring our concerns to God because we think God will meet our needs. <laughs> If I bring this concern to God and he actually meets the need, now I'm stuck. Now I've actually got to do it. That's the last thing I want. I really enjoy sitting on my perch of inability. It would be great. But you see, when we do bring our, our concerns to God and we hear the voice of the Lord say, bring what you have to me, I, this is where we stop. The little bit that we have we hang on to. We don't actually put what we have into the hands of the Lord. We keep it for ourselves. Let me give you an example. I don't know enough to share the gospel. Great. Can you share your testimony? Well, well I, I mean, I don't have much of a testimony. Great. Will you share your not much of a testimony? I don't, I don't know. I don't think I know enough about the Bible. Great. Will you share your not, not, not knowing enough about the Bible? And not just a little bit you know. Will you share the fact with the people you're ministering to that you don't know enough about the Bible and you're still on a path of learning? Will you share that? Will you share not just what you physically have, but what you don't have? And will you share that understanding? I don't know enough, but what I know, I am totally willing to help you with. Can we do that? Or do we think 
God has to get us to a specific point before we're willing to actually step into the service. It might sound something like this. I would really love to be on the worship team as long as God supernaturally gave me the ability to sing or play an instrument. But I don't want to have to work hard and struggle at the beginning. I just want to be good. Got news for you. When I started playing guitar, I learned really fast, really fast. People say, it's just, it's just a, I went from not playing guitar, six months later, I was leading worship in a Bible study. People say, that's, that's just crazy. God just, God just supernaturally gave you that ability. Nope. I lived with that stupid thing. I knew that if I did not learn to play that guitar, very quickly I was going to get bored and I was going to go do something else. So I, I literally, I would go to work, I came home, I played the guitar. Now, my friends at the time who, who, who knew guitar knew that I was, a, I was that annoying person. They were like, is George going to be there? Yep. Oh, he's going to bring his guitar. Yup. I talked to those people later on, and they were just like, you know, part of it, part of the reason why we were kind of irritated with you is you were always asking us to show you something. The other irritating part is that you got better than we were fast. And I was like, Thanks. I knew I needed to hit a certain skill level in order to keep my interest. I knew that. I knew enough about myself. But here's what happened. When that Bible study asked me to lead worship, I wasn't a singer. Still not, just to point that out, okay? People go, are you a vocalist? No, I'm a worship leader. (laughs) And those are two very different animals, okay? God said make a joyful noise. (laughs) I can do that. When they asked me to do that, I was, I was stuck with a choice. Will I take the little bit that I know? And it was still rel- I was still trying to figure a lot of things out. Will I put it to work? Will I put my inadequacy to work? I did. About three months later, I got asked to come give my testimony at this little church in Clayton that they were doing this youth rally. And when I got... <laughs> This was a great night. I got there and hey, you just want you to come and give your testimony. That's fine. There's nobody doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. I get there. And the guy's like, hey, you ready? I was like, well, yeah, how long do you want me to speak for? He goes, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes. I was like, I'm sorry, what? I don't want to take time away from your speaker. Not kidding. This is exactly what he said. You are <laughs> the speaker. It's like, oh no. Really wish I'd have known that before tonight. See, my, that was not my plan. When I got asked to do this, I put my inadequacy to work, put my inadequacy into the hands of God. And then again, I show up. <laughs> Wasn't my plan. Now I realize that not only am I moderately inadequate for the task, I am monstrously inadequate for the task. You got a choice. I can get irritated with the people who didn't tell me everything I needed to know for that night, or I can simply see it as an opportunity to honor God with the little bit that I had. So I chose to honor God with the little bit that I had. After that night, uh, now how many of you remember the song, He is the Lord? He is the Lord and He reigns on high. Old vineyard song, it was great. They did that song that night, only the person who was teaching it to them 
couldn't get the guitar player to figure out that. So they, not kidding, sang it like this. He is the Lord and he reigns on high. I'm in the congregation inside screaming, no! (laughs) No! (laughs) Don't do it! So afterwards, I asked the guitar player, can I see your guitar for a second? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you know that song you guys were doing? He goes, please tell me you know that song. I said, yeah, 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 I know that song. So I started playing it for him. The person who taught it, I knew the person who taught it to him, but I didn't, I didn't know where, where the song came from. I'm like off on another side of the church, and I'm just playing the song. And all of a sudden, the person on the other, who taught it to him turns and yells, that's it! <laughs> Not kidding, the next week, I was the worship leader. Didn't plan for that, wasn't ready for that, and when I went back and told my mentor, Tim Grant, he did this. Because <laughs> he thought it was funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, I do the same thing to everybody else. I didn't have the experience to be the worship leader at a youth ministry. I had never been in youth ministry. I had only been a Christian not even maybe, maybe 18 months. I didn't have what I needed. I was incapable of doing this correctly. All I had was this little bit of understanding of, uh, of the guitar and I, whatever my testimony was at the time and just a tiny ability to sing a very small number of songs. And believe me, the songs that we did well, we did over and over again. If I ever have to sing Flood from Jars of Clay again, shoot me. Everywhere we went, Satan! No! For the billionth time. Five years I had to sing that song almost every time we went anywhere. So that kid over there laughing right there, that guy, he was on the stage with me doing the same thing. He hated it as much as I did. That and hallelujah glory. We didn't have what we needed, but what we, the little we had, we placed into the hands of God. Everyone in that ministry... And everyone that I've ever known who has been successful in ministry started out exactly the same way, incapable and inadequate to the task at hand. But the little bit that they had, they brought to Jesus. I don't know if this is going to be enough, but what I have, here, they put it to work. It's so important that we understand how this works. I meet so many people who want to be involved in something, but they're unwilling to work. They're unwilling to be less and then to struggle to make mistakes and have to grow. They want to start as an expert. They want to start with no mistakes. They want to start with a level of authority. They want to start with some level of respect. Let's put that into a slightly different category, see if it still works. Marriage. We all know that when we started in marriage, we had it figured out. The only person who didn't realize how good we were at this was our spouse. And if they just would have submitted 
to what we wanted, everything would be fine. Or do we start with this little bit of knowledge and some hope and we work it out as we lay our lives down for each other before the Lord? And the Lord honors that little bit of sacrifice that we give. He, get, he honors our inadequacy and he grows us in the process to the point where we are better than we were before. We are more capable than we were before. We are... We are we actually understand what, you know, what, what, loving, what being loving looks like. We didn't understand what loving looks like when we first got married. We understood what lusting looked like when we first got married. We thought it was love, but it really wasn't. You move into understanding. Sometimes you got to take the little bit you have, invest it into something, and then trust that it's going to work out. This is how we go to school, right? When you go to college, you invest in something, you don't have the skill you're going to have when you get out. Hopefully, you have some skill you get out when you get out, you know. If you're an art history major, good luck getting a job. <laughs> you know, I'm just, just, just saying. You might want to go for a skill that's employable. You know, call me crazy, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I'm going to get some nasty message from an art history major. I got news for you. I'm working at Stewart selling fritters. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> and God bless those people who make the fritters. That's just the way it works. Abel has this look on his face like, move on, move on. We start small and we continue. But here's the thing. Let me, uh, this, is, this is the one thing that, uh, that I'm going to close with this, and hopefully we get this in our head. Jesus called them to do something that they were incapable of doing. They brought their concerns to the Lord, and the Lord said, bring to me what you have. What did Jesus do next? Did Jesus break the bread and create thousands of baskets and then tell everybody to sit down? No. Jesus told everybody to get into groups. Dinner's coming. Now, getting five to 10,000 people to sit into groups is not easy. This probably took a little while, and I'm sure people started to figure out what was going on. There's a miracle about to happen. Jesus created the anticipation. The disciples had to go into the crowd and tell them what was coming before Jesus broke any of the bread. Last lesson. When God calls you to something and you let him know of your inadequacy and he says, bring to me what you have and I will bless it, part of bringing to him what you have is putting it to work, expecting that he will show up. God is not the one that's going to move first in your life. You move first in your life, and then God will bless your actions. He's not going to bring to you everything you need so that you're nice and comfortable and unafraid as you move on. That is not how it works. He is going to bring to you the confidence to take a step, and then he's going to bless you as you move, not bless you so you'll move. If you're waiting for God to drop what you need in your lap, God is waiting for you to get going so he can. He's not the one holding things up. You are. When the first generation of Israelites came to the, to the edge of the river and they're looking into, into the promised land, God did not stop them in their tracks so that he could have them wandering in the desert for 40 years. They stopped. 
then God waited for a generation that would go, and he blessed them. People say, obviously God planned that that the Israelites wouldn't go in that first time. I don't believe that. I think God brought them to the edge of a choice, and they made the choice. They made the wrong choice. So God, in his infinite patience, waited for a generation that would make the right choice. Be that generation. When you see the impossible task in front of you, don't wait. Don't debate it. Don't look at your resources. Trust that God has already put things where they need to be and get moving. Get going. Share your faith. Take that risk. Open the business. Whatever it is you think God is trying to get you to do, do it and stop complaining about it. Trust that he will be there for you. But everywhere in scripture, you see something along the lines of you reap what you sow. And we should remember that that means first things first, we sow. It's your turn. God will be there for you, but it's your turn. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to look into your word, to look into your calling on our lives. Father, help us not look at what you have for us with skepticism and doubt because of our lack. Help us to look at what you have for us with anticipation and hope and joy and peace and confidence that you will be there for us. That you will be there doing everything that you promised that you would do if we would just trust you. Help us to step out boldly. Help us to step out confidently. Help us to step out not worrying about what's going to happen next because it's all in your hands. We thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen.